morning, everybody. So good to see you all. We're so glad you're here listening. It's good to have you in our presence. I'm so thankful for all of you who came in here to be with us. It's encouraging to worship with you in person and hear your voices in the auditorium. So um, we've been on a series about sin. It's called About Sin. What a great topic, right? You're all, especially our first-time guests, aren't you so glad you came for this today? <laughs> um, the three weeks ago, we talked about committing sin, like transgressions, things we do when we violate one another and violate relationship. Today, we're speaking, or last week, it was about inheriting sin, just the things we inherit by no fault of our own, just by living on the planet. And then today, we're going to be speaking about experiencing sin. It's the sin that happens to us, and then also um, the sin that we sometimes inflict on others. So um, just a note to all of you, I'm not going to get into detail. The The hardest part might be the beginning part, but we're going to there, we're going to talk a little bit about the about violence, the violence of the cross, uh, trauma, being wounded, um, some tough subjects, right? Because if we're on the planet, we've experienced wounding, and um, we can move. We can jot the camera for a minute. We're good. A little, little bit of moving around here, but we're good. Um, even though we're talking about these difficult topics in kind of a public setting, my heart would be like, I wish I could just hug each person here. Or maybe you, that's the last thing you want is a hug. So I wish I could just sit with you and listen to you and maybe cry with you, maybe just bear witness to whatever you want to tell me. I don't know, but I just want to let you know that that's kind of where we're going. But I am believing God. I'm believing the Holy Spirit is hovering over this place, over us, over our hearts right now, and wants to bring healing, wants to bring light, wants to lift shame off of us, wants to lift pain off of us. I just was reading some accounts this week of just how when we open our hearts to Jesus, God just comes in and touches us. There's a story from the book Unbroken about Louis Zamperini. He was a World War II POW, and he goes through the most atrocious things you can imagine, and he has this encounter with God, with Jesus. It just lifts so much of the torment off of him, and I'm like, that's Lord. Would you do something like that today? Would you do something like that today? So we're going to start with a story. Carolyn, come on up. Carolyn works, I, I get to work often with Carolyn because she works doing bookkeeping in the World Outreach Office. And if you know Carolyn, she's always smiling, always radiant, always just full of God's joy. And she um, is just such a tender and compassionate person to be around. And she comes to me one day and she's like, Sarah, you got to hear this dream. And she's beaming. And I'm just expecting this beautiful, amazing dream. And then she tells me a tough dream. But just listen to what God does through this dream. It all started in December, December 8th to begin with. I had a dream. It was kind of disturbing. 
not during the dream, but it was just, but it, I mean, it was disturbing during the dream, but not afterwards. That's really strange, but that's the way it worked out. The gist of it was that someone was planning to harm me in some way, deceiving me to gain my confidence. But a young boy was at this person's side, was revealing the truth about the situation in his eyes. I heeded the warning and killed the person who was trying to deceive me. I was using a knife. I also injured the boy. Suddenly I was surrounded in a large room by people who wished me harm, or so I thought, and started stabbing out to kill them all, some of whom I only wounded. But I awoke wondering where in the world this dream came from. I was rather surprised that I wasn't feeling any fear or remorse, but rather a kind of matter of fact about it all. All that next day, I prayed for the God to reveal the meaning to me. But upon lying down on my bed to sleep the second night, the dream's interpretation came to me. Of all the people who I had harmed in my life's journey, my past was often selfish and derelict of thinking about how others saw me or felt because of my actions or behaviors. I have wounded, stabbing them in the back, breaking their hearts in some ways. I had to repent of these deeds, and I prayed for forgiveness. But right... but uh, And to set things right. I asked the Lord to forgive me for those that I've hurt, and now might be even with him. This is pretty long past, folks, that I'm talking about. My teenage years and maybe a bit after. And I asked the Lord to apologize for me, to clear my own conscience with Jesus' mercy toward me. I have assurance of peace through God's forgiveness, but I really need to repent of my past sins against others. We often forget about who or why or when others have been injured by our own bad decisions and actions. There was no bloodshed during this dream. I didn't see any blood at all. And the significance of that became kind of evident most recently. Jesus had already paid for those sins. His, his own blood was shed for mine. So now I live in a clear conscience, assurance of forgiveness, but the dream itself reminded me of the need to just acknowledge and confess my own part in the part that I played in other people's lives. 
my own selfishness, my arrogance, my self-righteousness, and a lot of, and a lack of compassion for other people. Inner healing and prayer and deliverance healed me of unforgiveness for others, but not my own responsibility toward them. This was really a wake-up call for me. And so I just thank God that, that these things are brought to light even late in life <laughs> when it's not too late to, you know, confess, to acknowledge, and to share what God has done in your life. Amen. So that's Amen. It. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing with us. It's hard to be vulnerable about the things that we've done. When Carolyn first came to me all happy and excited, I have this dream I have to tell you. And when she told me the dream, she's processed it quite a bit since then. But she's like, I was stabbing all these people. I was killing all these people. And I was like, ah, this is disturbing, Carolyn. And she's like, but God, show me what I did to people. And that brought her relief and joy. That brought her freedom. And I was like, that's amazing. God, you are so faithful. God, you are so faithful. So sometimes when you have dreams, this happens to me a lot. I'll wake up and I'm like, that was a terrible, disturbing dream. I'm not thinking about that. Maybe you're having a dream because God wants to reveal something in you that's at a deeper level that needs to be processed, that needs to be thought about. And maybe if we dare to take that step, we might actually find some joy and some freedom, and it might even affect others around us, where we can make peace with others, where we can ask others for forgiveness, where we can be reconciled with others. Isn't that amazing? That's a perfect example of hurt people hurt people, right? We experience wounding, and then we inflict wounds. This is this terrible cycle that we inherit and we get caught up in. We've spoken already a lot about Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, everyone greeting him, everyone waving their palms. They were hurt people who actually wanted to hurt people just like us, no different than us. They were under a corrupt religious system with Pharisees in collusion with Rome. Rome was oppressive and unjust, unjust taxation systems and violence and Greek values. And there were zealots who were retaliating with terrorist attacks. There was a sense of poverty, sickness, um, torment from the demons because Jesus, he healed people. He set them free from demons and powerlessness. I mean, everyone, the crowds, I love that Luke passage where they were praising God because they remembered the miracles that he had done. They're like, we have a glimpse of the freedom of what God is going to do. But they, just like us, were wounded people longing for one who would come, the one prophesied by Isaiah who, Isaiah 61, I paraphrase this passage for today, 
the one who would bring good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, the one who would comfort <clears throat> all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, the one who would give a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, one who would renew their ruined cities and restore devastated places. Can we not relate today? Don't we not need every one of those things today? We need good news. We need healing. We need release from darkness. We need comfort for the, t the times we mourn. Tennessee this week needs comfort, right? A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Our families, our schools, our cities, our justice system, our political system, our environment, we need saving. We need saving from the wounds and grief inflicted on us. And we need saving from the wounds we cause and we inflict because of the patterns that we're unwilling to change, the rights we are unwilling to concede, and the sin in our own lives that we refuse to own. How faithful is God, Carolyn? How faithful is God to come and bring her that dream? so she can own it. The word Hosanna comes from save. We already, we already said that this morning. John 12, 13 says they took their palm branches and went out meeting him yelling, Hosanna, save, save. Blessed is he, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. What did saving look like? It had been prophesied about by Isaiah. We just read Isaiah. Also by Zechariah. Zechariah, I don't know, hundreds of years. I can't remember how many hundreds of years before Jesus comes. Zechariah prophesies in chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. He says, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout and triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. He says, I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations. As we mentioned earlier, when we remember Palm Sunday long ago, we have mixed this mixed hope and expectation of what Jesus did and what Jesus is going to do as Christ is coming as a king, righteous and victorious and yet we remember he came humbly on a colt and we're trying to understand this promise to remove weapons of war and to bring peace. What did Jesus do about all the wounds? What did he do between in that time when he comes in triumphant, when he begins weeping and when he dies on the cross and he rises again? That week he didn't ride in on a chariot in a day and conquer Jerusalem, establishing an earthly kingdom. It's not what he did. Instead, he surrendered himself to a brutal, vulnerable, scandalous process that we remember today as Holy Week 
or the passion of Christ. Aaron read a scripture last week about sin as a failure to love. If sin is a failure to love, then Jesus defeated sin with the ultimate act of love, culminating at the cross and resurrection. Rich Velotis, in his book, Good and Beautiful and Kind, he speaks about the wholeness that God's love can bring to our wounds, individually, interpersonally, collectively, and even institutionally. Because when we are wounded, when sin wounds us, the flow of God's good, beautiful, and kind love that we receive and give, that flow can be disrupted. When we're wounded, it's the enemy just trying to disrupt the flow of love, the good and kind and beautiful love of God. Rich Lotus says it this way. He says, learning to love requires habits such as naming our shame, making sense of our stories, attending to our whole person, particularly our bodies, and beholding Jesus, our wounded and resurrected Lord. These ideas come from research, and you could read more about it in the book, research that therapists know about, research that doctors know about. Naming our shame, making sense of our stories, attending to our whole person, even our bodies, and beholding Jesus, our wounded and resurrected Lord. When Carolyn came to me and told me about this story, she was naming the shame of what had happened, making sense of her past story of violence. I did this because of what was done to me and because of my reactions. Her, her, she did it because of a past story. And then she made sense of her story. She has a story of violence, of verbal, emotional, and physical violence, even if it's effect. And then she even talked about its effects on other people's bodies. It felt like stabbing. It felt like wounding. And then she finished with surrendering it all to Jesus. It finishes with surrendering. And, and there was that eagerness to tell the story that helped her make sense of something that happened when she was a teenager. We'll let everybody else do the math, right? <laughs> and a young adult. Romans 2.4 says, can't you see that it's his kind that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? The King James says, it, can't you see it's his kindness that leads to repentance? That's the one I have memorized. But I try not to use the repentance too much because we have wrong gut reactions to that word today. It means the same as turning from your sin. <laughs> the betrayal, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus demonstrates this naming, making sense, and attending to a whole person's experience of wounding. And I want to go through some of the stories of Holy Week to show you how this happens. A few examples. Jesus was so kind because he told us the story ahead of time. Sometimes we can't make sense of things until later. But Jesus, before he goes into Holy Week, he actually prepared his disciples for what was going to happen. 
It wasn't just foretold in the prophets. Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 24, he prepares everyone. He's like, Hey, everyone, we're going to Jerusalem. Just so you know, Jerusalem's the city's going to be taken. There's going to be destruction of a temple. There's going to be challenging days ahead. And then when, and then in Matthew 26, one through two, it says, when Jesus had finished saying all those things, preparing them for that, he says to his disciples, as you know, the Passover day is two days away and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified. He just tells them point blank. I don't think they believe it. But Jesus is providing a story so that if they're listening, they're going to begin to be able to make sense of what is happening. Then at the Last Supper on the evening of Passover, Jesus describes Judas's betrayal, Peter's denial, the disciples scattering. Jesus's wounding begins with betrayal and denial, just like ours does. It usually begins with betrayal of someone who's supposed to be looking out for us and denial of people who are supposed to be protecting us. Then in Luke 22, 19 through 20, we took communion today. As Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Luke 22, 19 through 20. The bread and the cup aren't just something to eat and drink. They become story prompts, reminders to our physical bodies today. I love how much God cares about our physical bodies. That Jesus knows what it means to be broken, what it means to drink cups of suffering, that he knows how it feels to be poured out. John 13, 19, Jesus says, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Jesus was providing a story to help us make sense of what he's about to go through, even though it makes no sense what people did to him, right? It makes no sense. On one hand, our suffering, our wounds don't make sense. They come from senseless acts. What happens to you? What happens to me? What happens to us? What happened to Jesus doesn't make sense. It isn't right. On the other hand, God wants to take what happens in the dark, expose it to the light, and to bring you hope and healing and to write a new story with you. Jesus wrote a new story for us. And just like Jesus wore scars on his hands and his feet after he was resurrected, his wounds were healed, but his scars were there. In the same way, you might always wear scars on your heart and on your body, but there's healing, there is resurrection, and that's the new story. That's the story that brings us hope. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Thank you, Jesus, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
there's new birth into a living hope. When we've been wounded, when we've been hurt, we need a new birth into a new hope for the pain around us. So Jesus leaves the Last Supper. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on, on every step of the way. It would be good this week to read in your Bibles Read in scripture what Jesus did during Holy Week. Jesus endured betrayal of his friends, brutality by the bloodthirsty, depravity of the violent, mockery of crowds, public shaming, envy by the religious powerful, injustice of corrupt political and civil institutions, the powers that be, his body and his possessions were treated as commodities. Nakedness, hunger, and thirst, abandonment. Brian Zahn puts it this way. He says, the violence of the cross is not what God does. The violence of the cross is what God endures. God endured the violence of humanity. The cross serves as a picture of the wounding we inflict on others and of Jesus's identifying with us and the wounds that we endure. Isaiah, when he prophesied about what would happen, he put it this way, I like the message version so that we might hear it differently if we've known this passage for a long time. Who could believe what we've seen and heard heard and seen. Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? Doesn't look like the triumphal entry, does it? Doesn't look that way. It looks like both, both and. But the servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. That's how Jesus is described. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. I want to read that one again. It was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. Through his bruises, we get healed. This week, I was on Instagram. I follow an account called um, hum, um, oh, Humans of Judaism. Humans of Judaism. It's a strange account name, but it's lots of stories about the Jewish people. 
And this story was submitted by a woman named Gail Dubov, and it was about a Seder or Passover dinner that she went to. And she tells this story. If we could get the picture, this was, I wish I had better, um, sorry, it's a little pixelated, but you get the picture of this woman. This elegant lady of 95 walked into the Seder tonight in a beautiful, rich blue sweater. When I commented on how lovely it was, she was quick to tell me a story. Helena survived three concentration camps, and when the last one was liberated, she was flown by the Red Cross to a hospital in Sweden. She was 5'4", that's my exact height, and weighed 52 pounds. That's 100 pounds less than me. Take away 100 pounds from me at 5'4". Her roommate in the hospital, a fellow survivor, knit the sweater for her while they were there. It was 1945. She told me she has worn this sweater every Passover since then. Everyone has a story, but very few have the power of that beautiful blue sweater. That story is such an example of this healing process. She named the shame that was done. It was no fault of her own. She, she was powerless. She had no way. It was no fault of her own what was done to her. Did you know that Nazi belt buckles have a, a crown and a cross and the words Gott mit uns, which means God with us on the belt buckles. The things we do in the name of God, the things we do, humanity, that's us. But for Helena, when she meets with her friends to commemorate the exodus from Egypt, the Passover, She commemorates her deliverance from the Holocaust. She names exactly what happened. Every time someone mentions her gorgeous sweater, she tells a story. She gets right to the story, remembering what happened, reclaiming the story, reclaiming the narrative. She attends to her body. She's actually wearing a sweater, reminding people of her exact height, her exact weight. She's wearing the scars and she does this in the presence of God and others at a meal, the place where we tell stories. Today, we had a meal together, not, we should go home and have a bunch of bread and a bunch of wine, right? (laughs) Have a, a proper meal. And we should be able to tell our stories, the things that happen to us. It's no should you, would you, could you. I don't mean that. You're invited to tell a story. We're invited. So in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, we just finished the eight weeks. It was so good, you all. You all need to take this course. But they talk about five stages of learning five stages of learning. 
When we first learn a new truth, when we first learn something we need to know, the first thing that happens is we become aware. It's like, oh, I've been wounded. Oh, Jesus gives me a dream. I've been wounding someone else. Oh, someone's told me, you're wounding me. This has happened to me this year, you all. And I'm like, oh, oh no. I'm wounding this person. What does this mean? How am I wounding them? Why am I wounding them? Then we go to ponder. We ponder on it. I didn't know this was wounding. I didn't know how I am wounding. I don't, I don't know how not to wound. <laughs> oh no, God. I value that I now know that I am wounding people or that I, I was wounded. Oh no, this matters that I was wounded. I don't need to be ashamed of what happened. There's this awareness. Someone hurt me. Now, the first thing we want to do is deny that's the first thing. It's more, it's easier to deny something than to name it. Think about Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has been praying all night and he's told them, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be handed over. But when the soldiers come for Jesus, Peter's in denial. And what happens sometimes when we're in denial Peter lops off, one. he takes a sword and lops off a guard's ear, right? He, he, his denial is so strong, he, he resorts to violence. Instead of being like, oh, Jesus told me this was going to happen. This is going to be hard. And instead of being able to ponder and value it, he went into denial. All the disciples scattered, right? It was the mother of Jesus, some other women, and John who ended up staying with Jesus through the crucifixion. There were a handful of them who valued in the moment what Jesus was going through. Like, this is wounding, and we want to be here for Jesus with what he is going through. And then if we can make it, if we can begin with being aware, if we can begin with pondering, if we can begin to value the significance, we move to prioritizing healing, health, a different response. I don't know. If, if I'm the one who's doing the wounding, we move to how can I be reconciled? How can I change what I'm doing? How can I have restitution? And then we actually own it. We actually own it. So in that other passage, in that other story, if we could get the next part of this slide, just saying it again another way, naming our shame, making sense of our stories, attending to our whole person, beholding Jesus, our wounded and resurrected Lord. My prayer today is that we will begin to learn 
that we will be a community that can do these things. That when we go out to eat, we can tell our stories without shame. That when we put on our blue sweaters or we see each other's wounds, we can help each other make sense of the stories. May we be a community that helps each other make sense of our stories. One final quote. Do you want to come up? I don't know if it's the team or we're going to finish with a song today. Um, if the team wants to come up. Uh, the next slide, please, Caleb. Thank you. When we bring our wounds to Christ and lay them upon his wounds, healing begins. When we bring our wounds to Christ and lay them upon his wounds, healing begins. We're going to finish today with a song and an opportunity to begin the surrender. A wound maybe that we have not been willing to recognize in our own lives, wounds that we don't have stories for yet, or wounds that we've inflicted. We'll allow the Holy Spirit to do that work. And we'll also remember Jesus's wounding as we go into this week, that Jesus can identify with us. Jesus knows what we've experienced. Jesus made a way for us to make sense of our stories. Amen. Here is where I lay down Every burden, every crown This is my surrender Here is where I lay it down Every lie and every doubt This is my surrender And I will make room for you To do whatever you want to To do whatever you want to and I will make for you to do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to. Oh, here is where I lay it down, every burden, every crown. This is my surrender. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down. Every lie and every doubt. 
This is my surrender. And I will make for you to do whatever you want to. To do whatever you want to. And I will make for you. To do whatever you want to. Do whatever you want to. And I will make for you. To do whatever you want to. For my traditions, down for my religion, your way is better. Your way is better. Shake up the group. For my traditions, break down the walls. For my religion, your way is better. Always better. Shake up the group of all my traditions. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. Your way is better. Double maker for you. To do whatever you want to Where I lay down, you are all I'm chasing down. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay down. You are all I'm chasing down. This is my surrender. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down. You are all I'm chasing now. This is my surrender. So good shepherd, shepherd of our souls, I just pray for each person listening. Um, where there is wounding, God, would you just come in and um, 
bring healing, bring awareness. Open us, but we open up our hearts to make room for pondering. Open up our hearts to make room for valuing. Open up our hearts for a new story. We open up our hearts uh, for resurrection life and living hope. We open up our hearts to grief. We open up our hearts to the triumphal entry and to the weeping, to the pain and to the resurrection, to the tomb and to the garden. We thank you, God, that you are our living hope. We make room for these things so that we can be witnesses of living hope, witnesses of redemption, witnesses of healing. I just pray for each person, Lord, each one of us is in different places in this journey. Each one of us is in, in different um, places that where we need to open up our hearts and make room to you. And I, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work in only the way that you can do this week. And that we would all love one another along the way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would like to talk with someone, if you would like to pray with someone, we have this table over here after service where you can uh, talk with someone, meet with them, pray with them. You can reach out to me. You can reach out to someone that maybe you came to church with, maybe a friend, maybe somebody you trust. Talk to others. Don't be on this journey alone ever. That's what the body of Christ is for. That's what community is for. So um, God be with you. Stay in, stay in touch.